boring content is just not good. Keep a few clever things in, have a point of view, take a stand on a few things. It's not gonna kill anybody, unless you're writing for medical journals or you're giving instructions on brain surgery. Welcome to the Look Left at Marketing podcast. This is part two in our series on the art and science of content marketing. Brian Scanlon and Look Left's head of digital, Matt Raven, will take a look at the most common mistakes B2B companies make when it comes to content marketing. And conversely, what are the returns for a well-executed content marketing program? Matt, good to talk to you again today. Yeah, you as well, Brian. So today we're going to talk about content marketing mistakes, and we're going to zero in on the big ones that we've made, that we've seen other people make. So Matt, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, and I will start with one that is um, made and repeated over and over again. And uh, I think it's really important in particular for B2B brands to think about is this notion of trying to avoid falling in love with your own branded language specific to product or solution naming, right? So I see this lots of times where brands do a bunch of focus groups. They do lots of studies, surveys. They come up with this name that's on brand for a new product or offering, and they go to market with it. Everybody's very excited. But what they forget to do is understand and map whatever that solution and the pain point is to keywords that customers are actually using, right? So when you publish a page that has that new product or solution name, if you're not optimizing it and structuring that content around the phrases that people are using within the industry that actually describe that product, it's sort of a moot point because nobody's going to find it anyway. And so that's one mistake that I constantly see made, and I'm sure you have in your experience as well. I talk about the art of content and you talk about the science. And I think, you know, kind of on the art side of it, they have no problems talking about their product, but they really don't give the problem enough attention. And and people, you know, in search and think about our everyday lives, they generally search for a problem unless they already know what they're looking for. You know, like, hey, I, when is the next season of The Mandalorian coming out? That's like a real finite search, right? But most of the time people are saying my website is too slow or my database can't scale or how do I uh, you know, start embracing artificial intelligence in my applications? So they're searching for, for problems and they live those problems every day. And you know, one of the best ways to connect with somebody is to Talk about their problem. You know, I remember this uh, this gardener analyst saying to me once, you know, nobody gives a crap about your box and the lights and the features. Buyers want to know that you understand their problem better than anyone else and that you might be able to help them through it regardless of the product. And I think, you know, really zeroing in on those problems does two things. It satisfies a search need and it also connects with people on a human level because who doesn't want help, right? It's a universal item. I love that. It segues into uh, another common mistake that I see, and it's this overemphasis or focus on bottom of the funnel content and B2B brands in particular over-indexing on that because most times these big budget numbers and investments are rooted in you know sales and marketing qualified leads and how can we generate more leads quarter over quarter, month over month. And so when the focus is there, people tend to over-index on, on that bottom of the funnel, very sales-oriented stuff. And in my experience, that may not only limit productivity from a search perspective, but it also could potentially turn your audience off. And I think it's a, a really interesting segue from the point that you just made talking about solving problems, because those very 
problem specific searches tend to be a little bit higher up in the funnel, right? Where people are starting to understand what solution they need, then they move a little bit further down into consideration. What options do I have, right? They're not just jumping into that experience, knowing what they're looking for. And this has really been doubled down on by Google, a, a recent study that they did a few years back, which I love, found that on average, B2B researchers do 12 searches prior to engaging on a specific brand site, right? So when we think about that, it's critically important that brands are considering that type of content to appeal to those very specific problem solution-focused keywords and education-focused keywords so that they can actually get that first or second impression in that long journey and that they're not just trying to capture that last click because that's incredibly valuable. And, you know, I also think that as you move up the funnel and start thinking about content, there is also this danger that you're going to try and appeal to a very broad audience like this. We have to take out so much stuff just so this potentially can appeal to so many people. And and if we think about modern marketing, why things like ABM are being very successful is it's actually kind of taking the, the 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 other approach is how do we narrow this down so we actually don't waste time with people that really aren't interested or don't share our point of view. And I think one of the mistakes is not having a clear point of view. Doesn't mean that we have to be controversial at all steps and have inflammatory language. I'm not, I'm not really talking about that, but this notion of like, we, we often get stuff that we write back and we'll, you know, I call it finding the boundaries of where our clients are comfortable. And sometimes it'll come back and they've stripped out everything of interest because they're trying to be too generic or it has to appeal to, we're going to have to translate this to multiple languages and boring content is just not good keep a few clever things and have a point of view, take a stand on, on a few things. It's not going to kill anybody, you know, uh, it, unless you're writing for medical journals or giving instructions on brain surgery, just don't make your point of view like your product, right? The point of view of everything we believe in is your pro- our product features and lists and everything else sucks. That's definitely not the right point of view. Um, there's a time and place for that, then it's definitely not in content marketing. I think that's such a good point. And and for whatever reason, I think there's this misconception that you can't achieve SEO outcomes with content that has a strong point of view. And I see that an awful lot too throughout my career. And one of my pet peeves and mistakes that I see brands make a lot of is taking shots in the dark, just just based strictly on feel, right? This is, uh, you know, our board was talking about this an awful lot. Our advisor group is talking about this. We should probably publish three blog posts on this topic. Those are fine starting points. But again, there are just countless tools out there that help us start with topics and themes and drill down to opportunities that we know people are searching around and that have relatively low to medium levels of competition from an organic ranking perspective where we can actually cut into some of that traffic. But to your point, that content doesn't have to be and really should never be dry, dull, and boring, right? The value that we're trying to achieve using that SEO data is to help describe to Google what the articles are about so that we can help those users stumble upon the article itself. If once they get to that, because it's optimized really well, it doesn't deliver anything that's different, that's unique, that's valuable in any way, then we haven't achieved our goal from the beginning. So I think the the common thread and the synergy between those two things is just so critically important. And it's not, it's not easy to do 
But it, in my opinion, better to do that for a smaller quantity of articles <laughs> than to focus more on a volume game that, you know, sort of falls short on the cross sections of those two worlds. We were talking about the funnel and, you know, I wonder if that, that funnel is even shaped like that anymore. I, I'm getting the feeling and we hear this from clients. It's a bit of a pinball machine that people are bouncing around and the behavior can be quite erratic. But the one thing that is absolutely happening is they're doing a ton of research before they even talk to you. And I do think the mistakes that folks make is not understanding that you need to have other things that are related and linked and chained together to give people the opportunity to bounce around on related items. So being able to say, oh, we're going to publish this blog. It is linked to this white paper. It is also linked to, you know, a couple of things. And, you know, you may not be able to have a linear path, but at least there are some directions that folks can go where they don't necessarily leave your backyard or they can spend time on your site finding interesting things. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I really like that pinball analogy. I've also heard the funnel and the journey being described as more of like a consolation. And I think that's increasingly true. And maybe we should just do away with the funnel altogether. And it, you brought up a, a really interesting point that struck me is this notion of types of content, right? And I think that another mistake that brands make in the B2P space is that I think there's a little bit of an over-reliance on own content. And it is certainly a critical tool, right? It is the one channel, the one type of content that a brand has complete and utter control over. They can optimize it. They can map it to topics that they know are important that are tied into their themes. They can publish it any which way at any point in time. But what people forget is that other forms of media are so important in that in that pinball journey as well, where people understand the solution they're looking for, and they've really narrowed it down to a few options. Where do people turn most for that, right? It tends to be third-party content, right? They're looking at analyst reviews. They're looking at peer-based reviews. They're looking at earned media. They want to know that this brand that they're potentially going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars with is credible that they've done work and achieved success in the space that is specific to any given searcher. And a lot of times it's not own content that's going to move the needle in that sense. And so that's why there is such a blurred line between PR and SEO and making sure that brands are seen and that consumers can engage with them in mediums that are outside of their website, right? We talk a lot about wanting to make sure traffic stays on our brand site. And that is really, really important. And there's ways to, to maximize the impact of, of all content, regardless of where it's published. But if you don't have strong visibility and, and you're really well positioned amongst peers with analysts in the, in the media itself, you're likely not going to succeed when you start to inch closer to the bottom of that, that funnel or that pinball machine. I think preferences for people and how they consume and what they like to consume are all over the place. And People are, you know, saying, you know, there's this gigantic shift during COVID to certain types of content, right? You know, all of a sudden people were going to virtual events and then they got totally sick of them. And we're dealing with human beings, right? And they have preferences. We know that in general, this type of content is liked and this is good. But the reality is it is so easy to slice and dice something 
and to just do minor variances and spins on it to have a quick graphic or a quick podcast or video. And this is not to advocate going crazy and just adopting a million different mediums, but what we really want to try and do is have a checklist that says, okay, we've identified the problem we're going to talk about. We have a strong point of view. It's search validated, but a very quick checklist of like, there's going to be a blog. We're going to do this graphic on it. And just getting in the habit of thinking about all those dimensions can really help. And then and then you get data to see which elements people are, are adopting, or at least giving them a choice of how they want to have an experience with you. I tend to do a lot of long-form reading, right? But there are people who would never do that. Another common mistake that I see brands make, sort of becoming overwhelmed with what it can take to succeed in content marketing, especially if you're a startup, you know, you're an up-and-comer in a category that is very established. It can be quite a steep uphill battle um, when you're looking at quantity and also the quality of content and the levels of investment that maybe your competitors are are inputting into their own strategies. And as a result of that, I've seen so many brands sort of go into this analysis paralysis phase where they just wait and wait and wait months up to a year to build a perfect strategy rather than just starting with a minimal viable product that can be refined, right? And so when people ask me, okay, so Matt, this is really overwhelming. You're telling us to just get started. How do you do it? Okay, let's not think about this as we need to write 500 blog posts this year. Let's think about it as we're going to create three really great pieces of content that may start as white papers, and then we can repurpose them into six blogs each, a small series. And then that can be you know, a social campaign, and that can feed ABM, and that can go into our email newsletter. And then by the time it's all said and done, you've created 100 pieces of content from three ideas, right? And so repurposing and recycling is really critical, especially when you're starting from scratch. Perfect is the enemy of good. You know, it's just good to pick, again, start at a problem, point of view, search for verified, and just start that piece. We get obsessed with it. We're going to have a series of these. And there's this production, you know, the most content somehow wins. Well, it's really the most effective content wins. And I'm a photographer, right? Like I love taking photos and I, I constantly search for stuff and I often see the same content because it's good. One of the things that I think I'm very guilty of, and I'd, I'd love your opinion on this, Matt, is that it's published, gone, like I'm on to the next thing. And that can actually be a problem when you you move off of it, right? It's natural that we sort of put our project management hats on and just, you know, check the boxes next to the stuff that we have to write about. And and part of that brute force is just important. It's just an input in content marketing at large. But the brands who succeed and who do a great job, not just a good job, are constantly looking at performance data, not just to understand, you know, what's driving the most traffic, how can we publish more on these topics, et cetera, et cetera. But it is such a good best practice to take a look at a minimum once a year. I would recommend probably doing it quarterly, but yeah. of our top performing posts, rather than write something new and potentially cannibalize visibility of an already quality piece of content that we have, why don't we just refresh that, right? We can keep the core elements of, of the content the same, all the technical structural elements the same because it's already presumably ranking well in search, but 
you know, we're talking about B2B technology brands here. Things change fast, right? Something that we published 12 months ago could very easily be obsolete. And so we shouldn't just let that piece sit there and shrivel and dry up and become obsolete. Let's change it so that it's still valuable for the people who are clicking on it. And if you do that with the top 10 to 15% of your top performing articles every year or twice a year, you're going to get more value out of them. Particularly with the educational content, you know, it, it, not so much in B2B, but in other places, people will pay for it, right? They'll, they'll buy a tutorial or a how-to or, or something, and, and that gets out of date fast. And I, I think people want an update, and it gives you an excuse to, to remind them of how good it was, you know, how you're staying on top of things, and then you can then communicate that, that to them. Yeah, that's right. It's it's always been funny to me because there's, you know, in particular in B2B space and, and, and even more particularly in technology, right? Brands spend so much time, energy, resources in updating their products. And that doesn't always translate to how they're updating their content that yeah. speaks to their products and solutions. And so it's it's a really interesting point that you make. Well, Matt, we could probably talk about the mistakes that others have made and certainly we've made for hours, but I think this is a, this is a good start for our, our listeners and it was great talking with you today. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Brian Scanlon and Matt Raven will continue to explore the science of content marketing in upcoming episodes of the Look Left at Marketing podcast series. In our next segment, Brian and Matt will discuss tips for brands and startups that might be a little light on budget and resources how they can get the most out of their content strategy. We hope you'll subscribe to the Look Left at Marketing series. We're on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you might get your podcasts. And of course, we welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of the Look Left at Marketing podcast. Till next time, be well.